Have I been talking too much? No. Oh, I, I do tend to have a bit of a motor mouth, especially when I'm excited. And you don't know how exciting it is to have gotten this assignment. Everyone in class, I mean everyone, wants the Enterprise. I mean, it would have been all right to spend some time on Rainer 6, do phase work with antimatter. That's my specialty. I know. That's why you got this assignment. I did it again. It's just that... I know. You're excited. Look, Sonia. Yes? I don't think you want to be around these control stations with that hot chocolate, do you? Transfer complete. Welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between the Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, gleefully ordering a junior officer to their death. And we are here this week to tackle the burning question. Are they really senior officer material? Yeah, Kim, I, I think we've seen a lot of senior officers that, you know, sometimes have aspirations of command, and we've covered the captains before. We've ranked them all. We know that, yeah, they can lead to varying degrees, but I think we can have some fun discussions here about whether some of these senior officers, maybe in the main cast, maybe recurring stars, really have the chops to eventually become captain and uh, kind of lead the crew. And we'll look at evidence about them being put in command situations. And I think this really does open us up for uh, some interesting debates because I think there's some obvious, you know, picks that are like, yeah, they're they're uh, command material. There's some people that obviously are not command material. And then I think there are a lot of question marks where they have uh, both good and bad qualities. Yeah, um, Star Trek, there's many personalities out there in the universe of Star Trek. and um... Not all of them are well suited to lead a team of people, as with the real world. So, Tyler, why don't you kick us off with your first one? I think this is a fun one, though. Cam, would Worf actually make a good captain here? Like, um, we already know, based on that episode Change of Heart from Deep Space Nine Season 5, when he and Jedzia went on that mission... Uh, to fetch that Cardassian double agent, and Jedzia was hurt, and instead of getting that Cardassian double agent who would have, you know, really helped with their uh, efforts to take down the Cardassians, well, you know, Worf, you know, took his wife back, and that's when he was told explicitly by Odo, or not Odo, by Cisco. <laughs> I'm getting my O names uh, mixed up, Cam. <laughs> But uh, that, yeah, you'll never get a command. And I think that really made um, his journey into the diplomatic corps make a lot more sense by the time we get to the end of the series. But Kim, I also think a lot of the stuff that we saw in Deep Space Nine were Worf's first intuition was always to like um, fire photon torpedoes. I wonder how good he was at like kind of getting you know the crew behind him in that more kind of inspirational way versus that kind of imitation intimidation way. But well, what's your overall take on Worf as a uh, a potential captain? I'm so glad you brought up Worf. I was actually talking to friend of the show Scott Hardy today about Worf because like initially the whiplash reaction is like Worf would be a terrible you know captain. Um, you can't have Worf in charge of people, but. One example that really jumps to my mind that makes me reconsider Worf is the episode Lower Decks, where we see him mentoring um, Cedo Jaxa in like the Klingon martial arts. And like, he seems like a very like patient, 
and um, very like disciplined commanding officer in a moment like that. Like it's a very like almost like intimate moment here of training here of mentoring. And I go like, maybe Worf does have it. Like maybe if you give Worf the right people, he has that ability to kind of bring his honor code and communicate it to his, you know, lower ranking staff in a way that is actually very respectful and helpful. I, this guy's a really fascinating case study. Well, the other thing I, I do want to bring up is he was the XO of the Defiant. He had mm-hmm. many an opportunity to lead. I don't think Worf mucked up uh, too many missions, did he? Like, he seemed very competent, and it didn't seem as if... Um, you know how sometimes... You, you, okay, recall, like, uh, Saru in Season 1 of Discovery, where uh, you have something like... Uh, oh, what was that episode uh, in, in which Lorca is stuck in uh, with uh, one Harry Mud? Uh, during that prison sequence. But uh, Saru was kind of made out to be someone still getting his feet when it came to being a commanding officer there. Um, I, I never really saw that with, with Worf. Like, he made some, like, errors. You know, I, I mentioned the Change of Heart episode, but he seemed overall fairly just competent in, in knowing the rules, right? Yeah, like, in terms of, like, diplomacy, I don't know that he's your go-to guy when he's, like, killing heads of state (laughs) that doesn't (laughs) work out so well but as a leader of people we never got those cases where there was real personality clashes on the show and there's you know the one where like um he's flying the defiant there's like the big disaster and he basically goes on you know court for it um but it's more of an issue of perhaps a captain's decision Night Court, yes. <laughs> Shout out to Brent Spiner there. Um, and John Larroquette. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Star Trek gold. Um, we It's always like command decisions with Worf. It's never about the relationships with people, which I think is the most important factor when we're really looking at, you know, the characters we're going to talk about today. Like, can they lead people? And I, I think Worf can. The only case I would be a little wary of is if you gave him someone like an Alexander. Or a Barkley, actually, on, you know, TNG. Um, I don't know how that would go. I think I do, in that we saw how <laughs> he interacted with Alexander in the episode Sons of da- and Daughters when uh, Alexander joined the Rataran crew. It went terribly. Like, mm-hmm. Worf doesn't have a lot of patience. I think Worf can identify potential and kind of uh, cultivate that potential. I don't think Alexander really had much potential as a warrior, and Alexander was fine with that. He may have been conflicted, and that's why he jo- joined you know, the Imperial Klingon you know, Defense Force, but um, I just I don't think he was meant to be you know, a warrior there, and Worf recognized that, and that frustrated him, and that's why he just couldn't lead someone like Alexander. Um, yeah, <laughs> Barkley, I... I think he would uh, push anyone to their edge, right? I would think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, why don't we jump over to my first one? Well, well, uh, but before you do that, um, do you think Worf is, uh, you know, kind of command material? You and I ridiculed the idea of the Worf spinoff so much, right? Like, well, that was all a rumor. But it's one of those things. In retrospect, I don't think it's absurd that Worf could be a captain. I, I think it would probably work and maybe some of those rough edges would actually make for more compelling drama than if we got a guy who is just like the born captain who makes no wrong decisions so i actually think Worf could be pretty good 
Yeah, the, I, I've kind of grown on the idea of the Captain Wharf spinoff only after like Michael Doran kind of revealed the idea behind it. And I was like, okay, that's, that's actually fairly interesting. And I think it'd be interesting to put Wharf in those new situations. Although I really do think his rightful place is in kind of the diplomatic core of the Federation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So um, why don't we jump to my next one? And um, you know what? You referenced him earlier, Saru. And I'm thinking more early discovery. Um, we did get him in the chair briefly, but he's a character that I struggled with because we saw Saru kind of working out his kinks earlier on, but there was still like weird incidents. I think of the, you know, Culber and, um, and um, Ash Tyler like fighting. And he's like, let's see how this plays out. And it's a question mark I had like, you and I were both not happy that Saru lost the captain's chair in Discovery. But was it sustainable? That's what I'm wondering with like the journey that character took us on. It, it's, it was a frustrating journey for me. And, and I'll point out like when he insisted that Culver and Ash Tyler work out their murderous differences, it was because, well, he had just gone through Vorahai. So mm -hmm. he was now more of that kind of uh, gone through that predator metamorphosis so i can kind of understand that and i think what they're trying to do is kind of um work out his kinks um that he had um in episodes like i'd referenced earlier and i it, episode just came to me choose your pain where yeah. uh, he was very iffy there they were trying to set him up to be the captain over the course of years which i thought was very interesting what frustrated me though is by the time we get to season three they purposely kind of um make him a lame captain so that it's very obvious that it's really Burnham who should be in charge, who she should be the captain. And that is what irks me. D does Saru belong as captain? I'd say by what we saw in the finale of season two, yes. But he's such a character who's just all over the place and in in how they wrote him uh, leading up to that and in what followed. But at least for that shining moment, it seemed pretty steady. And um, in the follow-up episode uh, that he next appeared in, uh, it wasn't the season premiere of Discovery Season 3, but it was the one that followed in which we had the uh, Ninja Turtle Space Tavern. But, yeah, People um, of Earth, yeah. People of Earth. Or, uh, no, no it wasn't. that's number three. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm blanking on what the second episode was called, yeah. But, but he was having that talk with Tilly in which he was just explaining that, you know, she is kind of the, the people person, the one that puts others at ease. And I, I think that's a very reassuring thing uh, for someone to hear from their commanding officer. Like, it, it's empathetic, but I, I don't think that he was lying. You know, sometimes when people pay you a compliment and you can tell they're just kind of blowing uh, smoke, uh, you know, I, I, that's not the sense that I got from Suru in that moment. Like, he was being genuine, and I think that's what you want from your captain as well. Yeah, the reason I brought up Saru is like, I'm not going to be bringing up any of the other captains today, but just with him, the way this character has been written, it's almost like he's a character who's always flirting with the big chair. Yes, he got it, but it was a temporary position. And it's almost like the show wants to kind of circle him around where now he's kind of this, I don't know, mentor figure to Sakal while Burnham takes the chair. So it's almost like, you know, you wouldn't talk about Kirk in this episode because Kirk that was the final destination with the chair. Whereas like Saru seems to be flirting with all these different roles within the show. And I'm just really curious where he winds up. Like he clearly hasn't um, cemented the status of captain. Even when he got 
sort of it seemed like captain status you know at the end of season one discovery then pike shows up yeah and pike commands through season two so saru's journey is fascinating i don't know what to make of it i think he would be a good i don't know like i'm kind of with you where at the end of season two i would be like right beside you being like saru is a captain this needs to happen i'll i'm willing to overlook the ash tyler um (laughs) culver brawl in the mess hall i'm willing to overlook that but at the end of season three, I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, I kind of me wonders if, like, Saru's going to go on <laughs> kind of like the human adventure type thing, where by the end of the series, he's off in a direction that is so unrelated to what, you know, a, uh, you know, ship-bound captain position even is. The reason that I think we found the culmination of his journey in season three frustrating is, is because everything in the prior seasons, it seemed organic. But it's very clear that the writers were kind of imposing him into this situation, which maybe being a captain just isn't his calling anymore. And that did just did, did not seem organic at that point. And I, it's just frustrating to ha- make this character obsessed with, you know, radioactive man boy Sukal instead mm-hmm. of his crew and his ship. What is his role moving forward? Because Alex Kurtzman is confirmed like, oh, yeah, why would we ever give up Doug Jones? He's coming back for sure. And we did see a trailer, um, that teaser trailer. And, you know, Saru is wearing a uniform, like a Starfleet uniform. So he's not playing babysitter to Sukal, um, seemingly. But it is Burnham's ship at this point. Like, I, you and I are going to be so annoyed if, like... Uh, he comes back as science officer because Tilly is now the XO, right? So I'm just kind of yeah. like, I don't like, I don't know what's in store. Do you think they give Saru a, a sh- like a role at Starfleet Command? Do they give him a ship of his own? Like, what, what do you think is most likely? I would like to think if he's coming back that it is a promotion, like an admiral or something like that, in this sort of newly um, reassembled uh, federation. Like that would be pretty cool. The only thing I'm wondering is, you know, as you said, he's in a uniform. We see him on the bridge. I think in a, I think there's like a photo or something. Maybe it's kind of like an Ash Tyler uh, season two discovery thing where he's serving more in a, um, I don't even know what the term is, but he's not a member of the crew in the way we think of them. He's kind of just there as a liaison or something. He's kind of, He's been seconded, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so it, perhaps he's seconded to Discovery in, in some sort of advisory capacity. D- just let, let's hope he's not in um, the David Cronenberg version of Section 31 or w- what have you there. But um, yeah, Saru's a, a strange case. Um, another very strange case. I want. Well, actually, okay, let's decide. Is Saru, you know, command material? Does Discovery know if he's good command material? <laughs> Well, in that case, I think, I, I, I think the answer is no. Like, based on yeah. what we saw by the end of season three, he's not. Yeah, I would say the pieces are there, but the way they keep shaking this character up, in the current moment, my answer is no. But maybe at the end of season four, I'm like, yes, once again, give us Captain Saru. And then at the end of season five, no. <laughs> Another radioactive man boy comes around. <laughs> yeah. But don't worry, by season six, he'll be command material kid. Okay? But only for season six, because then he's out by season seven. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> well, it'll be explained in a short trek, I'm sure. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, you, you know, you mentioned this character a little while ago, and I'll bring him back in the context of one Jordi LaForge. Hmm. Um, how he handles the Reg Barkley situation in Hollow Pursuits, 
uh, how he handles the return of Scotty, Scotty in Relics. Jordy <laughs> is just not one. He's not a people person. He's not a commander. I don't think there's like much of a question mark. Like, do people feel inspired by Jordy? I like you and I both grew up thinking, oh yeah, this is a cool cat. You know, he's a very awesome kind of character. But watching him as an adult, we're like, whoa, wow, just what a jerk. Like he he he's not command material, is he? He has some like decent moments with like I think Sonia Gomez um along the way. But oh boy. Jordy's a tough one. And I think part of it is the way the show portrayed Jordy was as a character with a lot of um, personal problems in terms of, I don't know, social anxiety, um, inability to connect with people. That's not great when it comes to being a senior officer. I think the thing is like Jordy is a genius, like probably one of the all time geniuses of Star Trek. And when they show him being very capable, that's him at his best. But when you have him as a leader of people, I think it gets very difficult. He's almost too bright for the room. And that's why there's that moment where we see him as a captain in Timeless in Star Trek Voyager. Um, and that always rubbed me a little wrong because Jordy, to me, strikes me as a character who maybe winds up at Starfleet, like working at next level, you know, technology. Like he's on your, basically your, um, your brain trust trying to come up with new technologies. I don't know that I see him commanding a group of people. Like, would Einstein necessarily be an amazing military commander a la Patton? Not from what I've read, no. Yeah, so it's like, I wonder if that's just the Geordi case as well. You know, like, I, I always just kind of picture Geordi the way that we saw him in All Good Things at the Vineyard with, you know, it's kind of wise old man status, rubbing his gray beard. Um, versus, you know, as you mentioned, like the timeless deal where I know what you're saying about it, it kind of rubbed you the wrong way, but but it just seems as if is the destiny of every single like legacy character to be a captain at one point. Like I would like them to acknowledge whether it's kind of all timelines or I guess in the era of Picard, you know, kind of meeting uh, new characters once again, that maybe not everyone is destined to be a captain. You know, people like Tom Paris, for instance. Um, Robert Duncan Neal is actually doing some interesting interviews saying that he was actually uh, offered kind of a <laughs> to return on screen as Tom Paris during season one of uh, Picard. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> yes. He said it would have been like a quick view screen sort of deal and they just couldn't work it out. Um, I'm like... That's the character that they were like, we got to get this one back. They're like, and then they settled for seven of nine instead. <laughs> it was going to be Tom Paris with the Fenris Rangers. <laughs> and he just does that like sad wave that he did in Tinker, Tenor, Dr. Spy. But, that connecting into the Borg uh, cube scene was going to play very differently with Tom <laughs> Paris. <laughs> well, there's a reason why like we were kind of like, oh, uh, seven is with uh, uh, Raffi now, but it was originally written for Tom Paris. <laughs> And we could never figure out how he got to meet Hugh. Yeah. Yeah, like, I don't I don't buy Tom Paris as a captain. And Jordy, the franchise seems to want to bend over backwards, I guess, to reward him with that title. And I get it. Like, they, well, when you look at TNG, most of them seem to wind up in captain's chairs uh, at some point. You know, even like Crusher with the past year. Um I guess, although Warp's the one who was always denied, but uh, 
in terms of like the fan fiction element, I'm fine with Jordy. Like I don't have any ill will for them making him a captain, but it is something that I don't think is supported by the storytelling. It's the, uh, you know, the old show don't tell, but they kind of just told us he's a captain without showing us why he's a really great leader. Yeah, I, I prefer something more along the lines of Professor LaForge at the Daystrom Institute versus, you know, Captain LaForge of the, uh, what was it? Like something like the USS Rhode Island, I think was like the name of his ship in Timeless. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, um, Cam, is Geordie command material? In my book, no. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> What's next up for you, sir? Okay, let's do a uh, a fun one, and that is Ransom on Star Trek Lower Decks, the first officer. Um, boy, you give me a first officer like Riker, I'm like, you don't even have to ask me the question. This guy's a captain. I don't even need Titan shoutouts. This guy's a captain. Ransom, I go, mm, this seems like a real bad idea. Um, there, there's a reason he's on the Cerritos, right? Yeah, this man is on the Cerritos. He seems to have some questionable um, protocol involving, uh, you know, lower ranking staff. We see in some of his interactions with Mariner. Um, he seems to have no filter. Um, he seems like kind of just a buffoon that is there to prop up the captain. Oh boy. Is there anything about Ransom that gives you confidence in him as a senior officer beyond his fighting skills? Yes, his acoustic guitar skills uh, based on his (laughs) month in uh, Barcelona. But uh, (laughs) no, look, when Troy appeared uh, in the bar with him, like she was able to psych 101 him really easily and just determine that he's ultimately just really insecure, which I, I don't think that that's what you really want from your first officer. And Ransom's more like a, a parody version of Riker, which I think that can, like, this is a comedy. That's funny. I'm down yeah. with that. But would I necessarily think he would do well if he was ever promoted to captain of another California class ship uh, that specialized in second contacts? Uh, I haven't seen it quite yet. I picture him as be- winding up as sort of like, I don't know, like Colin Farrell in like Horrible Bosses or something. Like, I feel like the end game of Ransom as a captain is very grim. I, I, I'd I have to agree with that. Um, I thought you were going to say Colin Farrell in uh, The Batman. But, uh, oh, yeah, the Penguin? Sure, yeah, yeah. we can go there too. That'd penguin doesn't seem like the world's best boss. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think we both agree. Ransom, probably not commander material, right? Do you think long term, like when Lower Decks is over, do you think they still have this guy as a first officer? Do we get like the fall from grace for Ransom? Is he a character who's being set up in some ways to wind up in a maybe a lower ranking position at some point? Or, or is it that we're just watching his journey? We're, we're only in mm-hmm. the first step of his journey. Maybe by season seven, if we ever get one, um, he would acquit himself quite well in command situations. Like he'd really prove himself. Uh, I just think about the, uh, remember the episode in which... Um, Rutherford was going from uh, division, division, division to kind of figure out what was best for him. And, um, you know, like, uh, I, I don't think Ransom was necessarily the most helpful, like, during that battle simulation. And, and maybe that's indicative of where he is at right now. It doesn't mean that he can't change in the coming years, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, and look at um, the Kelvin verse, right? Where I wouldn't say that uh, Kirk 
look that great uh, in the you know in the first film for much of it, but by the time Beyond rolled around, we totally bought him as Captain Material. So possibly, like maybe that's the journey of Ransom. Although I think he'll be a lot less funny if he's suddenly responsible in like season four. <laughs> maybe he's just the uh, the straight man for all the jokes by that point. Maybe, maybe. Uh, um, here's one I'll throw at you, Cam. Um, <laughs> this character for the longest time seemed like the coolest person on the bridge, and we never could quite figure out why. Uh, she ended up getting her own showcase episode that uh, brought many a person to tears. But uh, what about one Commander Arium from Star Trek Discovery? Um, when we saw her in command, she looked pretty badass, and. She ultimately was willing to make that ultimate sacrifice, uh, even though Burnham wasn't. She, uh, Burnham was willing to keep her alive, even if that meant uh, that uh, the AI uh, would, would destroy all of uh, the universe. But uh, what do you think of Arium as uh, a potential captain? I wish I had a strong opinion on this one, and I blame Star Trek Discovery for not giving us more Arium in the episodes leading up to her exit from the show. Because, boy, you and I were complaining week to week. Why are they not showing us more Arium? Uh, she seems very capable. Um, she seemed to have relationships with, like, the crew. We saw in her finale episode that uh, she actually had had pleasant interactions and had a fairly social bond. So that removes to me some of the concerns that maybe a Jordy has of being a little aloof and distant from those around them. Um, Arium seemed to be okay there. I would have to imagine all the, you know, cybernetics and what have you would probably give a higher level of performance. So maybe we are looking at a, maybe even like a better potential captain figure than like a data where you have only the Android side, whereas Arium would balance kind of the mechanical and the human. So maybe Arium would have been really good. I wish we could ever see it. Maybe a short trek. Uh, yeah, I, like I, I just think the writers were not expecting the audience to respond so well to just a character's cool look like she had like maybe a total of what uh, 20 words that she spoke in that first season until they really started giving a lot more time in season two but it wasn't until we got to that showcase episode that sort of stuff usually bugs me in, in that they they do an entire episode and you kind of know all the characters just getting this episode because they're going to die like that. Like why not do that? Set that up in the stuff proceeding. I think there's potential here. As you say, it's kind of hard to tell, but what I'll have to rely on is just how she responded when she was willing to go uh, to that uh, uh, derelict space station and uh, sacrifice herself uh, to stop control. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think she is command material. Well, Nan was willing to, like, <laughs> join the seed vault for the rest of her life in tribute to Nan, uh, in, a, in tribute to Arium. So Arium obviously did something right. Like, she definitely uh, seemed to um, set a good example, I suppose. No, I think you're just making the case for Nan as, like, the best command officer ever uh, with her seed vault aspirations. <laughs> you know what? Let's jump over it. Just, let's, while we're here... Nan, we saw her as security chief. Was this a character like Arium? It kind of left us with very little, but was there any vibes that Nan would make for a good captain? Well, it, the problem is just the writers messed it up, and they didn't know that they wanted Tilly to be the XO in season three. That's why they brought Nan to 
the 31st century. That's the only reason, yeah. you know? So they bring her there and they realize, oh, she ranks, she outranks everybody and she would naturally be XO for Saru. What is the dumbest reason possible that we think is actually profound to get her off the ship? Well, I know people, a seed vault. I'm just like, really? And it, also, I don't, I don't even like um, uh, her decision making here because she said like the the greatest accomplishment she ever had was getting off her uh, poverty stricken planet and helping her parents be proud of her. So she's just gonna like leave her parents behind all to take care of a seed vault. I just like <laughs> Cam. I I. Uh, I, I question her command judgment uh, skills at this point, but I don't know. I guess I guess Pike liked her uh, or uh, t- enough to kind of bring her over from the Enterprise, right? Yeah, like there's little moments. Like she was really onto Arium when Arium was like you know corrupted by the um, spore data. So um, there's that. Um, so. Was it spore data or sphere data? No, I, you know what? As soon as I said spore data, I don't think it was, was it? It was that thing from the future, right? Or was it like uh, like that kind of like uh, matrix-looking drone sort of deal? Yeah, that's what it was, yeah. Okay. Um, it was, oh, it was the a- evil AI, the... Um, control. Um, yeah, control, section 31, yeah. Um, so, like, she was on to Arium, so that's good. Shows like you know a high level of competency, uh, competency in her job. I think we saw that she could hold her own in a fight um, with the yum yum kind of moment. But one of my frustrations with uh, quite a few Star Trek characters when I went to make this list was like you referenced like Paris, for example. There's a number of characters who are senior officers. We never kind of got those episodes where we really got to see them kind of manage a group of people. I would have liked that for uh, Arium. I would have liked that. Um, for Nan, I would have liked that for Paris. It's something that would have just, I think, added to the characters. Yeah. Um, so, where do you ultimately come down on Nan? Is, is she command material? No, I think when you're just like hopping ship to join a seed vault, that really makes me question the uh, dedication to the Starfleet uh, cause. Is there no other Barzan in the entire quadrant that could have babysat this grief-stricken scientist that she she was the one person who had to do it i don't know it's so stupid it really is it's it's one of the like i don't know like i feel like long term when we talk about star trek discovery in the rear view mirror that's going to be one of those decisions that a lot of fans point to is really stupid unless they somehow find a way to bring that character back in an interesting way we've been mocking that decision for like nine months straight now it's like yeah well it's not I mean, the Kess exit is fine, but Fury is really bad. Yeah. And I feel like Fury leaves a similarly bad taste in my mouth. That one's worse, but uh, the exit of Nan does kind of annoy me because I was really on board with that character at the end of season two. And when she was heading off to the future, I'm like, awesome. And then dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was worse, the non-exit or the Jedzia exit? Um, in execution, boy. Um. The Jadzia one is pretty clunky. Um, but we don't mock it. Um, no. It, it's, it's more just underwhelming and, yeah. and just kind of sad. Um, yeah. We're just bummed to see that character go. Whereas I feel like the uh, Nan one is actively just stupid. 
Um, at least with the Jedzia, we get Ezri, we get those kind of threads going forward. Whereas Nan, it was like, write this character out of the show ASAP. So that's more frustrating. Okay. Well, let's jump over to one I think we can have a bit of debate about. But uh, what about uh, one Colonel Kira Norris? Is she hmm. command material? Like, she came on board, you know, Deep Space Nine is a rather insubordinate sort of character. She, uh, you know, marched to the beat of her own drum, you know, and um, she ultimately came around as kind of a very assertive character, one who eventually was kind of being accused of being kind of a, a bit of a traitor to her own planet because she would fall in line more and more with what the Federation was. But I think that's just growth on the part of the character. Um, how was she, though, in, in terms of kind of commanding groups, though? Uh or was it even kind of a journey for her as well? And like, I just think of an episode like Move Along Home, which is an episode I think of quite a bit. But mm. um, she just wanted nothing to do with this little escapade that they were being put through. And I, I think by the time that we get to the end of the series, you know, she could kind of outthink her way in a lot of situations. You know, an episode like uh, Dark uh, Darkness and the Light, you know, she was able to kind of outwit this uh, would-be murderer of her at this point. But is Kira too insubordinate of a, of a person to be considered command material? She did get a promotion, and she was left in charge of the station by the end of the series. Now, if you had asked me, could Kira become the captain of a, you know, exploratory vessel like Picard, the answer would be no. But in an unconventional situation like Deep Space Nine, where it is more of that kind of wild terrain, unconventional methods are required. Uh, I, I would say yes. I actually think she is very good as the leader there where um, I can see her commanding, you know, all of the Bajoran people there, the Starfleet there, people there. Actually, the Starfleet people leave, don't they? Uh, by the end of the series? Yeah. No, they don't. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. So I could see her being really good at overseeing this, um, having, you know, creative decisions that would that would be very um, useful. I think the journey of that character over the course of the series as well was not thawing her out, but refining her. So she was someone who had a lot of rough edges and by the end could use those rough edges, but also had opened up to more of obviously a family dynamic on the show, but the ability to also work with others she didn't necessarily agree with. You know, you, I think of the end of the arc where she's like going on the mission with like Damar. I don't think season one Kira is going on missions with Damar where he comes back alive under her hand. Like I think she would probably be the one executing that character in season one. Yeah. But by the end, I buy her as someone who can have very functional, you know, like a decent operation with people she doesn't necessarily see eye to eye with. So I think that's, you know, the diplomacy of Star Trek. Um, a lot of people argued it wasn't as present in Deep Space Nine, but I think you see that that influence does feed into Kira's journey. Well, the other thing to consider is that um, Kira Norris, the character, was actually much younger than Nana Visitor, the actress. I, I believe when the show started, Kira was supposed to be 26 years old, whereas I think Nana Visitor at the time was 36, um, which is kind of a common thing. Cam, so I just watched um, the uh, the Fate of the Furious, in which, you know, like sometimes in movies, they've got like a profile come up on screen, you know, to tell you all the the biometrics of a character. And Vin Diesel in that movie was uh, labeled as 40, 
which <laughs> um, that would have made him like 22, 23 when this franchise started. Um, What's the problem? <laughs> that is not true at all, people. <laughs> like he's playing 10 years younger. But uh, Nana Visitor, um, in her situation, though, it's like I, I think we might forget that she is like a kid, you know, when she starts off the series. And I, I think it's just her becoming more confident as a command officer. Um, coming into her own as a human being that can learn to trust. And I think she can trust in other people to kind of execute her decisions. I, I know what you're saying about her being in charge of a uh, exploratory vessel. She made it very clear. And again, I referenced the episode Move Along Home that she is an administrator. She is not an explorer. I think that's kind of why like being in command of Deep Space Nine is kind of the best position for her ultimately. The only thing I'm just kind of wondering about, though, is when we watched the Deep Space Nine documentary uh, and they had the writer's room session, they kind of decided, well, her journey ultimately was going to take her away from the Bajoran militia and she would instead be a Vedic. I'm wondering, what do you think about that potential of her journey? Because we kind of complained about how it seemed as if everyone's destiny was to be in command of a a ship, you know, uh, if you bring back a legacy character. I think it would be a lot less interesting to watch her as a Vedic if I have to see scenes of her in like gardens and opening orbs. Like that would be one grim season eight for me. Well, remember, wasn't Kyle Pocket like massaging Cisco's feet or something in like the first episode? It was just like, um, or was that just like that's originally what the plan was for the paw? Like that's how they would measure it was to be like feeling people's feet. I think that was in the original iteration of the character. Okay, when they, were and they moved it. it to the ears instead. Yeah, I, okay. I don't think there was a foot massage in season one I'm of just, Star Trek Deep Space Nine that I can recall. I, I'm just putting in my head uh, uh, that Kira's job now is to give uh, foot massages. So, <laughs> Yeah, like to me, um, I like how they tackled spirituality in um, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Don't need to see a lot of it. Um, just looking at characters like Vedic Baral... I, they never found ways, at least for what I was seeing, to make it look compelling. So I far preferred, you know, Colonel Kira on Deep Space Nine kind of walking between two worlds. Like that's something Star Trek does so well is have characters divided between two things, whether it's Worf between, you know, humanity and the Klingon side or, or Spock. To me, having Kira, you know, with kind of the Bajoran religious side and then more of the Starfleet kind of ideals... Um, someone who is potentially looking to kind of pave the ground between those two things. That's way more interesting to me. So you'd prefer to see her in kind of a command situation versus a Kai situation. Yes, yes. And honestly, things don't end that well for Kais from what I've seen. So Kira, you're probably better off on the station. Okay. So is Kira a good, uh, is she command material? Yes, I say for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say yes as well. Okay, well, I've got one that actually is maybe a little bit of a jumping off from Kira, another kind of um, rough-around-the-edges character, and that's um, Belana Torres on Voyager. Now, from what we saw, like, Belana Torres was really good as an engineer, um, kind of like Jordy in many ways in terms of how efficient she was. But as someone with people, I don't know, I'm kind of getting a little bit of the Jordy vibes as well, where I'm like, I don't know that Belana Torres was that great with people on the show. The issue is we didn't see her in those situations enough times. Like you kind of brought that up when we were discussing Jordy. It's like we, we, we saw some of the Sonia Gomez stuff, but 
I, I don't know. We saw that she didn't interact very well with Joe Carey, who nope. she would have been in command of. Um, but other than that, can you think of her actually interacting at all? Or I guess with Vorik, uh, which was very awkward. Um, yeah, like there's scenes where she's um, um, dealing with Seven of Nine, and that's obviously a different situation professionally, but also pretty pretty tough um the one thing i could say is scenes where she was with harry kim seemed much better uh in terms of being a little bit supervisory towards some of the you know the scientific um achievements they were trying to work on but like in prototype for example but um not a great track record like jordy i would just say like the issue is we didn't see her in enough situations in the latter seasons to indicate necessarily that she's not command material i would say if you're basing her on season one which i think that's when they kind of devoted the most time to like uh developing that character i think mm -hmm. she was meant to be somebody who was uncomfortable in her own skin when put in command of people you know like she was there as an like a genius engineer you know it, it is chakotay that went to bat for her um it's just so tough because I would have liked them to have made her journey more explicit or, or really telegraphed to the audience more and more what she was like as a commanding officer by the time we got to the end of the series. It just kind of feels a time like they kind of gave up on her. Um, you know, sometimes she'd come to the rescue, figure out like kind of an engineering situation. But I think more often her, her storylines were kind of defined by what was going on in her personal life or if she found herself on an away mission and, and something weird happened you know i'm thinking of uh remember when all those holograms kind of came to life during the uh that hirogen uh two-parter you know like yep. those are the kinds of yep. situations that would focus on her more and more she's not actually like in command of other officers yeah when i think about blana torres i think of episodes like you know was it blood fever um the one where um yeah, like the kind of the awkward one where she goes through the um, pond far. Um, there's that. I think of like extreme risk where she's addicted to um, extreme sports. Um, it's stories like that that really jump out or relationship stories with Tom Paris. Uh, in terms of being sort of a leader type in engineering, we don't get that. And that's something I found frustrating because when I look at a character like, say, Scotty on the original series, we saw Scotty on the bridge and we talked about him in our episode um, I, I can't remember what we called that episode. I'll post a link to it, but it was about characters in the captain's chair. We saw that. We also saw the way Scotty treated his crew. Whereas like Balana, a lot of the stories felt isolated just on her. It's just about what she's going through in the individual episode, not about her in charge of engineering. And I would have liked more of that because it would make it a lot easier for me to say whether she would make a good captain or not. Although I should also underline I don't know that by the end of Voyager, I got the sense she wanted to become a captain or anything like that. No. Yeah, same here. Uh, other than Janeway and Chakotay, who did we see the most often in the uh, captain's chair? That was something I really noted was when I was going through the various series and I'm looking at characters like from TNG, it's like, okay, well, there's some really good ones here. Um, same with DS9. And then I get to Voyager and I'm like, boy, I really don't have good examples for much of this team. Like we never got to see, you know, Tuvok in command, really. Um, uh, we never got to see Torres in command. 
it, it's really tough with Voyager. I guess it was because they centered the show so much on just the command style of Janeway. They didn't want to distract from that because even Chakotay, we don't get that much command material with Chakotay, really. A lot of it is supporting Janeway. So I think kind of the Kate Mulgrew showcase aspects of Voyager in some ways take away from sort of the, I guess, the, the rising stars of the, you know, the, the lesser crew members that we would see on other shows where clearly on TNG, we are dealing with Riker being promoted, you know, and, and dealing with um, the decision to leave the ship. Whereas, you know, just don't get that on Voyager, partly also because they're in the Delta Quadrant. So where are they really going to go, I suppose? Well, I think we can both agree that she's not necessarily command material based on what we saw, but that doesn't mean that she could not have been like, like it's a tough one. But I think that also maybe I, I can easily segue into a character that we can discuss, but is the doctor from Voyager, is he command material based on the emergency command hologram program that uh, he developed? <laughs> I am glad you brought this one up because... I would say no. Um, just when we see initially in the show, and look, the Doctor grew a lot, so I don't want to judge him too harshly for the first handful of episodes. But when we see the way that, in many ways, it's Kess who has to kind of teach him how to be <laughs> a decent leader, I'm giving Kess a lot more credit at a certain point. Like, maybe Kess would have been a better captain than the Doctor, who needs a lot of guidance. And we see the way that he tries to help guide Seven, his information, sometimes it's really good, and sometimes his advice is a little shaky. I don't know that I trust him in terms of being a captain over a, a, a group of people. Maybe if he, it's like a one-man vessel? Oh, yeah. Captain Doctor. Go nuts. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the episode Workforce, in which she initiated the uh, Emergency Command holo uh, hologram uh, program, I think for the second time. Because I think the first time he was kind of forced into that situation, I think it was Tinker Tenor... Uh, Dr. Spy, when I believe it was, um, oh, it wasn't the Malons, but they look kind of like Malons. They had assumed that his daydreams were actually uh, what was going on in the ship. And mm, so yeah. they figured he was in command. It was kind of funny. But um, in, in Workforce, like he was arguing with Harry Kim, who literally went to the academy and uh, was a commissioned officer about who would be in charge. And it's just like Kim is just kind of rolling his eyes. He's like, well, why, why would I take orders from uh, the doctor who I just don't think he has kind of the people skills necessary. And even as the character kind of became more of an individual with his own personality, um, he kind of graded on me. And I don't know if you want a character that has the potential to grade on people as, you know, your next captain. One thing we saw with Data was that Data was someone, when you had him in command, he had people that doubted him, but the way the show um, showcased his abilities, you were confident, along with the people who were, you know, um, disagreeing with him throughout the episode, you understood why they came around, and we understood why Data had was, like, a potentially good captain. Um, the show made the effort to convince you. Whereas the Doctor? Real flighty. Um, I don't know that the Doctor would want to focus on becoming a captain, because... As you, you know, the episode you love to bring up, a virtuoso, he's like, I'm going to head off and become an opera singer. Yeah. But that's not like isolated to just that episode. He's a guy who's, you know, wants to go off and like be an author. He wants to take photos. He's kind of a renaissance man. He's a guy who wants to have all these different experiences. I just don't think he's a guy who wants to sit on a bridge all day. 
He want, although I will say, he does want, I think, the ego boost of being addressed as a captain. He wants to wear, you know, the red uniform and be referred to as a captain. And we saw in some episodes that, you know, the command hologram was effective in spots. But for him, I think it's more ego than an actual sense of, like, duty and obligation. I, I 100% agree with that. So we, we can uh, conclude that, no, he's not command material. Now, I've got another doctor that I think is really interesting because I think this doctor made it fairly evident he doesn't want to become a captain, but it might be fun to just talk about whether he would be a good one. And that is Bones McCoy from the original series. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, we see that, you know, Bones has very good judgment. His working relationship with um, Nurse Chapel is, I think, very effective. It's not the um, Crusher-Nurse Ogawa relationship where they're like, the best of friends, and it seems like the greatest working environment in the world. <laughs> but Bone seems very effective with um, Nurse Chapel. Does he have, do you think, he's a character who's very instinct-driven. Do you think he would have the instincts to be a good captain? I don't know that he has the people skills, though. <laughs> no, I just, I can't see him in a tense standoff with, say, the Klingons in which he is called on to make the tough decision. I see him more as kind of the advisory sort of figure, the, the Tom Hagen of them all, you mm. know, like, um, uh, and I, and like you said before, I don't think he has any designs on ever being in command. Whereas I think all the other characters that we've spoken about, they do to a certain degree, maybe not Torres, but everyone else, it's kind of like they want that. I don't know if you could be a great commanding officer if you just don't want to. And that doesn't make you like bad at your job. He's a great doctor. He he, he doesn't even really want to be in Starfleet that much uh, based on what we saw in his disco outfit in uh, the motion picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he, he's someone who I think probably if you gave him the assignment, he would be able to do it on a technical level. But I just don't think there would be the passion there. Um, and... I, I would I will say I would love to see a spinoff. Just give me a short trek or whatever, where it's Bones in command with Spock as his first officer, just because I want to see that dynamic of Spock giving advice and Bones melting down. That'd be fun. I would watch that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Cam, somebody who kind of floats under the radar as what I think is a good commanding officer. Uh, you you uh, interject, though, if you disagree. Um, to Paul. Uh, we initially saw her in the command seat in Broken Bow, and uh, even though uh, Trip was really giving her a hard time, uh, she was very adaptable to executing Archer's plans, interpreting what he would have her do if he wasn't there. Um, it did not make uh, Trip happy, but uh, we really did see her in the command seat more than once, and she was effective at kind of negotiating over the view screen. Um, I don't think... Uh, the Starfleet officers would always kind of give her the um, kind of deference that they would to, you know, Captain Archer, but that's really not her fault. It's their own hangups over Vulcans. I, I think T'Pol, despite not enjoying the smell of humans, um, could uh, sniff out a good command decision. Yeah, like I think T'Pol is a really great one. She would be a, I would totally watch Captain T'Pol. That would be a great show. Um, but um, I think she's a case similar to Kira, where early on T'Pol had just, you know, a little bit rougher on the edges in terms of dealing with the personnel. I think in terms of decision making, she started 
high level. Like I think DePaul was very good, but you saw over the course of the four seasons of Enterprise, she became much better at sort of managing the personalities, having some camaraderie with the crew so that their trust, I think, helped even boost her up even higher where she was still making the same smart decisions she would have been at the start, but had people actively working behind her to support her. And I think it really made her a really interesting character who would have worked in a spinoff, honestly. Um, we've done episodes on spinoffs. We did one just recently. But I do think like a Captain T'Pol show, while it was ever, you know, while it was unlikely to ever happen, it's something I would have 100% bought and probably not questioned the way that we did um, Captain Worf, for example, when that was you know a rumor. I think the uh, the moment that might epitomize season one, or I forgot if it was season two to pause. Do you remember that scene in the captain's galley where she kept taking breadsticks and like sawing them with her knife and fork? And these are like yeah. the stiff, hard breadsticks. And then Archer and Trip were just snapping them, like picking them up by their hands and uh, eating them. And uh, she just kept at it. And I'm just like, well, sometimes that rigidity, it's kind of pointless. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, that's also a very Seinfeld moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, you know, after I saw the episode in which they were like, um, you know, eating chocolate bars by like cutting them, um, I actually tried that out for like a week or two as a kid. Um, it's kind of fun, but I, I, I haven't continued that exercise. I have only done it with a cookie, and that was because the cookie was very warm and the chocolate was getting everywhere. So I had, did it with the knife and fork, and it was fine. I got no complaints. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Uh, Cam, uh, anyone else you want to uh, delve into? Yeah, one, um, you know, who served with T'Pol, who I think is interesting because it's a character that maybe we didn't get a lot, but we got bits and pieces. And that's Malcolm Reed, hmm. who we saw working with the Makos a lot in season three. I mean, season one and two, if you asked me if uh, Malcolm would be a good captain, I would probably just laugh because the show had given us so little other than like episodes where they made him look highly neurotic. Yeah. So I go, okay, well, no. But when I watch him with the Makos, I go, hmm. This guy definitely has the respect of a very tough group of individuals. Like, I don't think the Makos suffer any fools. And the fact that they support him, um, you know, after uh, Major Hayes is gone, that to me speaks that he has leadership abilities and that he's someone who is, I think, somewhat um, inspiring as a leader. So would he be a good Starfleet captain? I think that's the question, especially when T'Pol looks so great, Archer at a certain point looks great. Does he feel like he's wandering down the similar path as those two, or does he feel like a completely different type of captain we would see, you know, in the franchise? I feel like we needed like two more seasons of him kind of expanding beyond being kind of the armory guy, the the one who like shoots missiles or orders people, uh, you know, in battle situations, you know. And I think we kind of got that with. Uh, Worf, you know, becoming strategic operations officer on Deep Space Nine and the first officer on the Defiant. I wanted to see Malcolm Reed in more of those situations. I think we did see him in the captain's seat like once or twice, like in the latter seasons. And so I, I would have just liked more of those moments. I think he has potential. I just, I don't think it was fully realized on screen. But I can do some uh, of my own head cannon, and I, I would make the argument that, yeah, uh, he is uh, command material. Yeah, like the show really only put effort into showing that T'Pol and Trip would be fairly functional as captains, or I think T'Pol would excel. But um, 
with the rest of the cast, you never got that. Like, I don't know, would Captain Hoshi work? I don't know. Or, like, Mayweather? I don't know. But it feels like Reed's the one they gave us at least a few breadcrumbs that we could kind of mull over. So I, I would say that what they gave us gives me some confidence he would work. But I don't think he's going to be on the flagship, you know, ship. I think he's going to be more of a, you know, not a Cerritos, but maybe just a step up. <laughs> okay. Okay. A, a USS Vancouver. Sure. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it's just kind of interesting. Like, uh, we did see um, Trip in a lot of situations within the engine room in which he was leading and people were getting behind him. So I think, yeah, like uh, that would indicate that Trip is definitely command material. Um, Let me throw this at you, Cam. Um, We didn't get a ton of moments with her but i still think that we saw enough that she would be command material and that's when jedzia dax like we saw her take uh command a couple times in the defiance i think you know in season three before Worf really arrived but from what we could tell like could you imagine people not wanting to follow her orders like she just feels as if somebody who has that kind of gravitas who has that charisma that i honestly think that commanding officers need to have i could totally picture her very easily as a captain if not for that um kind of lame death that we uh spoke of a few moments a few moments earlier but also several lifetimes of experience and one of the things I love about Jen Zia is she's kind of a bridge to all different types of characters. You know, she obviously bonds with Worf. Um, we see that she gets along with Quark. She can talk to a Cisco at the same time. Like she's someone who can deal with any character on the show. And so in like a captain role, that's a dream. Yeah, I just, I, I wish we got a few more moments of her kind of tapping into that wisdom of all those lifetimes in those kind of high intensity sort of command situations that that, that just would have been a little bit more fun mm -hmm. yeah no i 100 percent agree um maybe one to close us out and i think this one is i don't i don't know they've given us enough but that's jet reno on star trek oh, discovery okay. played by tignataro i think fan favorite character but little bit frustrating because it's Tignataro. She doesn't want to do a lot of episodes just because her career is so busy. So that limits our exposure to how much we get to see of Jet Reno. But from what we're seeing, she seems to be very effective at having, you know, a playful camaraderie with like Stamets. She oversees, you know, incidents with, you know, alongside Stamets and Tilly. She seems to be a leader that sort of inspires through humor and being very down to earth and a little bit of that bones kind of gruffness. So I can kind of see her as a captain figure. It would be an unconventional. It wouldn't be like the typical, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, the light is shining down on them type of captain. But I think Jet Reno has that sort of scrappy ability and kind of the offbeat sense of humor that would make people like her and want to follow her. I think she has a keen ability to read the room and masterfully read the people that she's dealing with. And I think that would come in very handy in a lot of those high intensity sort of uh, missions that she would go on and, and even using that kind of diplomacy that you would need too. Like, can you imagine a scene of her talking on the view screen to like, you know, an angry Klingon or something like, you know, that that stuff would be gold. Like this character would have that sort of wry um, sensibility, but also like 
Jet Reno is a genius. Like she, <laughs> she's basically written the book um, as well as read it. So she's a character who would make the right calls, but it is that sort of um, kind of that unflashy style. I think like a Star Trek show with a captain like that would be really interesting. It's something that we kind of got a little bit with Lorca, where it was a very unconventional captain who didn't necessarily operate the way a Janeway or a Picard or a Kirk would. I think a Captain uh, Captain Reno would definitely be uh, even further in that direction and be a really interesting show. <laughs> I would totally watch that uh, CBS All Access spinoff myself, or I guess Paramount Plus now. Um, Cam, can I just a uh, very quick uh, lightning round that there's just three, I, I'll spend like a sentence each on them. Yeah. Okay, uh, Troy, we saw her being very indecisive in Disaster in which uh, the ensign one Ro Laren was bossing her around, and then she couldn't even order Jordy to his death on the holodeck in Thine Old Self, and then she did so, and she was proud of herself, because that's what got her promoted. And then um, <laughs> Odo, um, I, I just, he, he never seemed to want to be in charge of anybody, he's kind of a loner type, so it's kind of weird that he was in charge of all security. I just don't see him ever seeking to be uh, in command of, say, whether it's a ship or space station. And then finally, Cam, uh, I, I know you've been waiting uh, for this the entire time, but uh, one Lieutenant Commander, Christopher Hobson. Classic. 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 <laughs> Do you remember that jerk? Uh, he was that guy in Redemption Part 2 uh, who didn't want uh, Data to be in command of the USS Sutherland. Um, he's oh, kind of yeah. racist against Klingons, androids, and Borellians because uh, he doesn't believe Borellians <laughs> would make a good engineer. Uh, that's <laughs> always a line that stuck with me. But uh, Chris Hobson, I hope you never got promoted. Um, I've got some lightning round ones as well. Dr. Tana. Don't know how that goes. <laughs> um, I also had um, Landry. I know how that goes. Not yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. Whether you're in the prime or mere universe. Yeah. And then lastly. Snug as a bug in a rug. <laughs> yeah. Lastly, um, one that we didn't talk about, but maybe there's a little more of a conversation is Tuvok. Tuvok seems to function very well with his team. Like, I imagine they're very well organized, but I never really got a sense of any people skills whatsoever. So Tuvok, uh, I don't know. Like Once again, it's a case of Voyager not giving me enough to really have a lot of confidence in the character. The, the only moment I can remember is, remember that episode where, like, uh, Janeway and Chakotay got some sort of disease and they have to live on an isolated planet and so Voyager just left them behind and uh, Tuvok was in command for like three months or something and I just I, I wish we had more moments of Captain Tuvok in that episode and I, just nothing is like jumping out to me other than he was reluctant to go back to fetch them from that planet when they figured they had a uh, a cure and maybe it's just because he re really wanted to be captain after all Maybe. Um, I think of, you know, Spock, who struggled earlier uh, in TOS in like um, leadership roles. And by the end, we understood that character's journey and why he was actually a really good leader by the end. Um, that's something I would have liked with Tuvok. Like, even if he's really good off the bat, just show us like why he's really good, why people respect him and how he's able to kind of bridge the gap between Vulcan logic and dealing with irrational humans. That's something I think would have been really interesting for that character. But that show did not have a lot of interest in that character a lot of the time, sadly. Bridge the gap while sitting on the bridge. <laughs> okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Tyler, what are we doing next time? 
We are going to do one of our classic rewatch episodes. We've done Darmok. We have done In the Pale Moonlight. I think it's time for some TOS. And Cam, this is going to be Galileo 7. Even if you're not really a TOS fan, I think anybody can watch this episode and kind of appreciate the classic storytelling. And it's a really good one for Spock, especially based on kind of the topic uh, that we're addressing today about whether somebody is command material here. And I, I, I would urge everyone, give this one a rewatch, and we'll be kind of uh, deconstructing it next week. Any excuse for me to watch more TOS, I'm happy. And this is a really fun episode to revisit. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V is in Vorik in Command, Smith. You can find me at Reporton, R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N, as in Neelix did command his own ship. You know, remember in uh, Caretaker, so uh, we should have, uh, you know, not write him <laughs> off so quickly. I'm willing to write Neelix out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. late.